<clears throat> thank you to everyone who participated in our service tonight. Thank you for coming back, especially on this 4th of July holiday weekend. Hopefully that you can enjoy the next few days. Uh, I don't know exactly how the work weeks for most of you. Uh, Tuesday's 4th. I don't know if you get Monday and Tuesday off or just Tuesday or just Monday or, or what. What happens? How many people have Monday and Tuesday off? Okay. How many people have Tuesday off? Okay, a lot of people have Tuesday. Great, okay, good. Well, hopefully you can enjoy it, spend time together, and have a picnic, and make merry. Okay, so tonight we are looking at the tongue. Last week we looked at the distinction between true wisdom and false wisdom, the characteristics of the two, and we, we noted that a lot of it had to do with, with character, uh, how true wisdom results in humility, false wisdom results in pride. True, uh, true wisdom results in a servant spirit, uh, false wisdom results in a servitude, a bondage, a bringing people into subjection. So they're, they're quite opposite. One of the ways that uh, True wisdom manifests itself in a very significant way is the way in which the tongue is used. So tonight I thought I would follow up on last week's message by looking at a very, very familiar passage in James. I know most of you are very familiar with this material, but nonetheless it's good to be reminded. We're going to be talking about the tongue. theme we as Christians need to be concerned about having our tongues under control. Why? Well, first... We need to be concerned about having our tongues under control because an uncontrolled tongue can bring us into condemnation. As Christians, we should have an attitude of a learner, not an instructor. James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers. Last w week, I looked at that in some detail. and uh, As we work through the book of James, it's many times talking more of an informal sense than a formal sense. Not the idea that we shouldn't be... Uh, teachers of the Bible, or we shouldn't lead Bible studies, or we shouldn't become pastors, as much as it is, is that we shouldn't be know-it-alls. Uh, we shouldn't be people who are quick to teach and slow to learn. Uh, James says that we are to receive the engrafted word with meekness. Uh, we ought to desire to be a learner more than an imparter of truth. Okay? There, there should be a, an aspirational sense of which we want to know God's word more deeply, more fully. And then flowing out of that should come a desire to teach God's word. But then that's true wisdom when the desire to teach God's word is not to demonstrate our prowess or ability or our knowledge or our intellect, but we really want to teach God's word to be a benefit and help to others. Uh, so that usually manifests itself not in such erudite uh, eloquent and elaborate presentation, but in simplicity of just trying to make the Bible clear and plain and simple. In the book of Ezra, it tells us of Ezra that he was a mighty scribe. He was a, a great uh, student of the word and a great teacher of the word. And the reason that God's hand was upon Ezra, according to the book of Ezra, was because Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and ordinances. So before the desire to teach came a desire to know it. And then before the desire to teach, a desire to live it out. And then ultimately a desire 
to teach God's word. And so that should be true of all of us, that uh, we desire to be learners of the word of God. Earlier in James, we saw that we were to be slow to speak. James 1.19, this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Uh, so again, this idea of listening more than speaking. Uh, we should in humbleness, <clears throat> a willingness to be instructed, receive the word. Uh, James 1.21, I already referred to this. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all remains in wickedness and humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. B, who are the teachers that are going to be held in a stricter accountability? Uh, or we who are teachers are going to be held in a stricter accountability. First, we're going to be held in a stricter accountability by others. Uh, we are taught that we're going to be judged by the same judgment that we use. Uh, if we are going to find fault, uh, then people are going to find fault with us in the very areas that we find fault with them. Uh, so, uh, again, I think it's generally talking about the aspect of being judgmental. Uh, James says a lot about that, about judging others. Uh, if we are, are fault-finding people, people are going to find fault with us. If we are gracious to others, people are going to be gracious to us. With what judgment we judge, we are going to be judged in the light of other people's minds. And then secondly, of course, we're going to be held to a stricter accountability before God. That should be a capital G. Sorry about that. But uh, we are going to have to give an account before God of the things that we say and do. See, we're all going to be held accountable for what we say. How much more so will teachers be held accountable for what they say? We'll be judged for what we say formally. That is, uh, those that have teaching opportunities. James 5.19 says, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So this aspect of annulling God's word, of uh, making God's word uh, uh, inapplicable. Uh, it's not just annulling God's word in a formal sense of striking out portions of God's word, but it has the idea of rendering it ineffective. Okay, That uh, we don't handle the word of God with such a clarity that it becomes murky. And it doesn't benefit people the way that it should. Uh, so uh, we need to be careful that when we handle the Word of God, we handle it accurately. But we also handle it in a way in which it can be comprehended. It can be applied. Uh, people can see how it relates to their lives and how they should live as a result. And secondly, we'll be judged for what we say informally. Matthew 12, 36. And I say to you that every, every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. So God is going to hold us accountable for every single word that we speak. Not just in a teaching atmosphere, but even in the way in which we interact with other people. The things that we say that are cruel or hard or difficult or, or mean-spirited, uh, gossip, all those things uh, we are going to have to give account for before God. And so we need to be careful of how we control our tongue. Number two, we need to be concerned about having our tongues under control because a controlled tongue is a sign of spiritual maturity. Uh, we all sin in a multitude of ways, James 3, 2, for we all stumble in many ways. Uh, we all have uh, many, many sins. Uh, the scripture says, if any man says he has not sinned, he's a liar. Okay? Uh, so that uh, we never are totally free from sin. Uh, we are never righteous before God in our own standing. We're always in need of of grace. So we all stumble in a multitude of ways. 
And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Uh, the most common way in which we stumble is in our speech. Uh, in Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and control to the glory of God. In order to prove that premise, all right, in order to shut every mouth, as it were, <laughs> every opposition that could come from that statement, to say, well, everyone has sinned. The way to prove the universality of sin, okay? What is the one sin that we can point to that everyone has committed? Romans uses our tongue, Romans 3.12. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. All of these adjectives to talk about our speech. In order to demonstrate the fact that we've all sinned, it uses our, our tongue to demonstrate it. We all know that there are times that we have lied, there are times in which we have lashed out at people, we've lost our temper, we've said things uh, that uh, we wish we could take back and we can't. Uh, we all know the reality of the fact that our, our tongues can get us into a lot of trouble. Conversely, the person who's able to control his or her tongue demonstrates spiritual maturity. Uh, it is a great sign of spiritual maturity to be able to hold your tongue. Not to boast, not to gossip, not to lie, not to exaggerate, but uh, to have your tongue under control. Uh, if you want to demonstrate maturity, it's interesting because the reason that uh, most people look at maturity is the ability to teach. This passage is teaching us that true maturity isn't demonstrated by your ability to teach. True maturity is evidenced by your ability to hold your tongue. Uh, you don't have to be a teacher to be mature. Uh, but you do have to be able to control your tongue. And it says uh, in uh, James 3.2, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. Perfect not in the sense of sinless, but perfect in the sense of complete. Um, uh, it is understood that, that, the, that the tongue is integral to every part of our, of our being, every part of our, our life. It's saying that uh, if we can have our tongue under control, that just demonstrates we have other aspects of our lives under control also, and that gives us the reasons why. The person who is able to control his or her tongue has other aspects of his life under control as well, able to bridle his whole body. So illustrations of how when the tongue is under control, the entire person is under control. Three illustrations the scripture uses to demonstrate this truth. First, an illustration of how when the tongue is controlled, the entire person is under control, taken from the illustration of a bit and bridle. James 3.3, 3, if we put bits in the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. The way in which you keep a horse under control is by its bit and its bridle. Uh, as many of you know, uh, I grew up uh, on a farm. But uh, what you might not know is in the early days, uh, my father, before he owned his own farm, uh, uh, managed a, a show farm for the uh, 
president of Chase Manhattan Bank in New York. And he had, he had, a, had a show farm. And uh, one of the things that he, he did is he also had uh, show horses. And my dad used to train horses, uh, five-gated horses, jumping horses, etc. And uh, we'd always have a, a stable full of uh, horses. And uh, those horses had to be exercised. And my dad was not big in spending extra money and hiring a bunch of people. Uh, so when I was a kid, <clears throat> one of the things that I was expected to do was ride these horses. That's how they got exercise. And when I said a kid, I'm talking a kid. I was six, seven, eight, nine. I did this up until I was about 12 years old, but started riding when I was probably about six. And uh, I was riding stallions. And how does a seven-year-old kid keep a stallion under control? Answer, it's bit and bridle. Okay. You got the right, you got the right bit. And you can bring a horse in a submissive. One of, the, one of the ways that you can know how honorary a horse is is by looking at the bit that they put in, the, in a horse's mouth. Uh, there are a multitude of different bits. There is a straight metal bar that uh, goes over the, the tongue that you can pray, put pressure down on a, on a horse's tongue. Uh, there is a, a metal bar that has uh, uh, got a, a circular hoop like this, and the bar goes through it, the bar goes like this, so you can pull down on either side of the horse's mouth to bring him under control and, and uh, get him to turn left or right. Uh, there's a padded uh, bar that you can use if the tongue, if the horse is very amenable and easy to get along with. And uh, then there is a bit that goes not over, only over the tongue, but under the tongue. And there's a chain under it. And so when you, and uh, you've seen this, and uh, there's usually, there's four reins. You've seen those? Shake your head yes, even if you haven't. Okay, pretend you're with me. Okay, but, but there are four reins to this. Uh, and uh, the bottom rein controls this part that's under the tongue. And so you can just pull under that and just imagine somebody gouging into that fleshy part underneath your tongue. And then if you've got a real honorary horse, there's one that not only goes under its its tongue, but goes under its chin as well, and you can pull down on both, and you can, the point is, you can get this horse's attention. And you can get the horse to do anything you want with the right bit and the right, uh, right bridle. And the illustration is that you get your tongue under control, and you can get the rest of your life under control. But you can't get your tongue under control, then you're gonna have problems in all parts of your life. Second, an illustration of how when the tongue is controlled, the entire person is under control with an illustration of a ship's rudder. When you control the ship's rudder, you control the entire ship. A rudder is a relatively small portion of a large ship. I've never been on a destroyer. Uh, I know that uh, uh, some of you have served in the, the Navy. Some of you have been on, on destroyers. You've been on huge ships. Uh, but that little rudder turns that entire ship wherever it wants to go. The third illustration uh, is uh, when the tongue is controlled, the entire person is controlled, applied. Uh, so, uh, so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. Okay, so <clears throat> it's small. Tongue, small part of the horse, controls the whole horse. Rudder, small part of the ship, controls the whole ship. Tongue, seemingly insignificant, but if you can control the tongue, control the whole body. Third, we need to be concerned about having our tongues under control because an uncontrolled tongue can do great harm. The tongue can do great harm illustrated by a single flame starting a forest fire. 
So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is ablaze by, smuch a, by such a small fire. Uh, how many of you, okay, let's show your age. I know we got some kids here. But how many of you can remember the Smokey the Bear commercials? Okay, only you can prevent forest fires. Remember? Okay, and remember the commercials? The one I used to like the best was the guy that was driving along in the car and he was smoking a cigarette. Remember that commercial? He's driving, smoking a cigarette and he tosses it out the window. And he continues on down the road uh, impervious to what is happening behind him. And then it shows you this little bit of, of uh, cig uh, cigarette butt lying there in the ashes and then all of a sudden there's a little bit of a, a flame and it grows and it grows and it grows and eventually devours the whole forest. And there is Smokey Bear with tear coming down of his eyes and saying, only you can prevent forest fires. Uh, one single cigarette butt and the whole forest can go up in smoke. The picture there is, look how destructive our tongue can be. Uh, all you have to do is place the right bit of juicy uh, gossip, uh, the right lie, the uh, miserable, crude statement, and uh, you can bring down uh, a whole host of problems uh, into uh, the life of people and, yes, even the church. So then we have this analogy, the tongue is a destructive fire. The tongue is so destructive, it's described as a world of iniquity. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness, meaning that there is no aspect of unrighteousness that the tongue cannot demonstrate. So two, there is no sin that our speech cannot speak of or that our speech cannot foster. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Okay, the idea there is that, that again, there is no uh, sin that a tongue cannot speak of or entice. Third, that fire which the tongue starts is so destructive that, and evil that is set on fire by itself. So the end of verse 6. Setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. So in this illustration, going back to the, to the uh, television commercial, it was the cigarette butt that was thrown out the window and it started a fire that destroyed an entire forest. Here, the ember that starts the fire is hell itself. Okay. It's like lighting one candle from another candle. You know, you pass it down the line, you think of these things at Christmas time, and you know, the, the children are standing up there with those little candles, and you know, they have the, the little uh, paper bottom to it, and they take one in there, and they're passing it on, and dripping wax everywhere, and so on. But the point is, from one candle, you light a whole bunch of candles. The picture here is our, our tongues are lit from the original source, source is hell itself. And it's just being passed on and on and on to talk about the, to talk about the, the destructive nature of this, of this evil, how terrible it is. Number four, we need to be concerned about having our tongues under control because only the Spirit of God, again, that should be capital, can give us control over our tongues. 
The most unruly animals are, be, are able to be trained by human beings. James 3.7. For every kind of beast and bird, a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by, my, by mankind. Okay. Lions and tigers have been tamed. You know, we've all seen the lion tamers and uh, they're in the uh, cage and uh, they're cracking their whip and you get the lions to jump through hoops and sit and do all kinds of things. Uh, even dolphins are trained to perform behaviors, even whales. Uh, how in the world do you train a whale? Uh, I don't know, but you can. You can train a whale uh, to do certain behaviors. Uh, all kinds of animals that we look at that, that people are training. But the thought here is what works for animals doesn't work on the tongue. You can't tame the tongue the way that you can tame an animal. You cannot control the tongue in the same way that you can control an animal. For example, the tongue cannot be controlled by sheer willpower. James 3.8, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's not just by personal resolve. It's not just simply by saying, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to behave differently. I'm not going to lose my temper anymore. Uh, I'm going to quit lying. Uh, I'm going to be much more guarded in things that I say. I'm going to be gentler or kinder or more merciful. Uh, I'm going to just behave myself in a different way. I'm going to write it down, uh, make the note, and tomorrow I'm going to be different. No, it doesn't work that way. Uh, David gives us this portion of scripture that's very helpful. Psalm 39.1. For the choir director for Jeduthun, a psalm of David. I said, I will guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle. Okay, so he's going to treat it like he muzzled it. He's not going to actually literally put a muzzle on it, but he's gonna, he says, I'm going to shut up. Okay. While the wicked are in my presence, I was dumb and silent. Dumb not meaning stupid, but dumb meaning <clears throat> didn't, didn't uh, speak. I was dumb. I was silent. I refrained even from good. So in order to control his, his speech, he said, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> if, if I'm just quiet, I can't say the wrong thing. So I just won't say anything at all. I'll just sit there dumb and quiet. But notice what happens. Verse, 30, uh, verse uh, 2 of 39. I was dumb, I was silent, I refrained from good, and my sorrow grew worse. My heart was not hot within me. While I was musing, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. So he sat, and he tried to hold his tongue, he tried to be quiet, he tried to say nothing, and then all of a sudden, it bursts. Okay? Now, let's be honest. How many of us, at some point in our life, said to ourselves, you know, I'm just not going to say anything. You know, we go to a meeting, I'm not going to say anything. Your wife comes home, I'm not going to say anything. The kids do it, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to sit there and not say a word. How well did that work? Okay. We, haven't we all been there, done that? You know, I'm, I'm not going to say a word. I'm just going to be good. I'm gonna, and then all of a sudden, boom! Okay. And you said all this stuff that you never intended to say. In fact, you, th you said, I'm not going to say it. But it comes out. Well, that's what happens. Because the tongue is uncontrollable, simply by human constraint. Gives another analogy. The tongue is like a poisonous snake spitting out venom. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. 
Again, Romans 3.13, their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Okay, so, so you can get this, this picture. You, you know, you see the snake here, and, the, you know, and you may have a snake charmer or something. But uh, it's, a, it's a poisonous, venomous snake, and it looks like it's under control. It looks like it's harmless. It looks like everything's fine, and then, it's, then it strikes. Then it hits. And it's saying that's what the tongue does. It looks fine, it looks docile, and then all of a sudden it speaks out, and it's filled with poison. It reaches deep into people's hearts. Uh, one of the most common ways for that to happen is for people to say they're just joking, they're just kidding. But they say things that really hurt, really damage, uh, really bring people uh, great sorrow. That's the way the tongue is. D, the tongue reveals the true nature of our hearts, which is the source of our speech. One source cannot produce two different effects. James 3, 9, with it we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. In uh, Matthew 12, 34 to 37, it says, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure brings forth what is evil. And I say to you that every careless word that men shall speak, they shall render account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. One source cannot produce two different effects illustrated by a fountain. James 3.11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? No, it has one common source. It's either a fresh water spring or it's a salt water spring. One source cannot produce two different effects illustrated by a, by a tree. James 3.12, can a tree, fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? And the answer is no, it can't. <clears throat> Three, one source cannot produce to different effects illustrated by fresh and salt water. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The idea here is that the one heart, okay, cannot produce both good and evil. So it is a good revealer of the heart. Okay? If we consistently speak the way we should, it shows a good heart. If we are constantly losing our temper, if we are constantly cursing, if we are constantly telling lies, if we're constantly being hurtful to other people, it shows there's a problem inwardly. It shows that even though we may be blessing God, it says, with our hearts, even though we may be saying praise the Lord or offering prayers publicly, it shows that deep down inside that we are meditating and thinking about things that are not good and not right and not proper, that we aren't as spiritually mature as we might tend to think that we are or that we present ourselves. You see, it can be very deceiving. You can be extremely knowledgeable in the scriptures and yet live a very pathetic life. Uh, we can sometimes be eloquent in the way in which we speak, but go home and be the worst miserable husband or the most unfaithful wife. Uh, it isn't just about public speaking. It's about real spiritual maturity. And uh, the way that you really are able to judge that maturity is just listen to the way people speak. Uh, are they boastful? Are they proud? Are they self-seeking? Uh, are they gracious? Are they kind? Do they uplift? Do they encourage? Or do they put down? Do they discourage? Are they pleasant to be around? Or are they just really miserable? 
uh, says a lot about who we are. So our tongues are very, very important. They can do great good. They can control the whole ship. Uh, a good use of our tongue. What a, a wonderful gift to use to God. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing, my great Redeemer's praise. Uh, but tongues that are destructive, wow, what evil they can do. So conclusion, true wisdom is not demonstrated in our teaching, but in our speech. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. We need to be concerned about having our tongues under control because an uncontrolled tongue can bring us into condemnation. We need to be concerned about having a, our tongues under control because a controlled tongue is a sign of spiritual maturity. We need to be concerned about having our tongues under control because an uncontrolled tongue can cause great harm. And we need to be concerned about having our tongues under control because only the Spirit of God can give us control over our tongues. So uh, if you're struggling with your tongue, don't go home and make a bunch of resolutions. Go home and pray. And ask God to, to give you control that you don't have. Ask God to give you wisdom that you don't possess. Ask God to give you humility. Ask God to create within you a, a greater spiritual maturity, a, a true dedication of seeking to be in private what we want to present ourselves to be in public. Uh, you know, so much of this is, 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 is really that. Uh, we want so many times to look a certain way rather than wanting to really be a certain way. We are sometimes much more concerned about what people think about us than what we really are. Uh, so uh, we need to have that under control. Sorry, I did not turn my phone off. Most people know not to call me at this time. But those people who are trying to sell me insurance on the Jeep never give up. Okay. So, I apologize. This has not been a good day. But I had my notes. Let's uh, close in prayer. Our Father, help us. Help us with our tongues. Help us uh, with real spiritual maturity. Lord, help us not to be know-it-alls and want to teach, but Lord, uh, help us to want to be students. Help us, first of all and foremost, to want to, to know the Word and to know you. Uh, Lord, help us to be humble and sincere, and uh, Lord, guard us so that we really want to be in private what we want people to think us to be in public. Uh, Lord, may we not just be concerned about the way in which we appear, but the way in which we really are. So, Lord, help us in the innermost being. Uh, thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. Thank you for the forgiveness that you tirelessly give to us. And help us, Lord, to be more faithful. Help us to pray about these things, seeking true wisdom. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed. <laughs>